Welcome to Blockspaces Live, the podcast where we help real people solve real-world problems with blockchain and Web3. All our episodes are recorded live, which means you're welcome to attend yourself, to ask questions, and be a part of our community. To get your invite, head to blockspaces.com slash podcast and hit subscribe. In today's episode, we chat with Alex Lewin about Bitcoin's place in the Web3 ecosystem. Keep listening to find out why Bitcoin cares only about being the best money in the world, the reason Alex believes the number of Web3 protocols will consolidate, and why Bitcoin's relatively slow pace of change is actually a good thing. Ready? Here we go. Alex, I know I didn't really do your intro justice, so maybe can you just tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you got into to Bitcoin and blockchain in the first place? I think you did just fine, John. Uh, oh, but uh, yep, uh, as John mentioned, my name's Alex. Uh, currently, I'm a, a Lightning developer at Blockspaces. Um, I first got into blockchain general, generally like a, around two and a half years ago um, at a company called NCR. And uh, I was a part of their innovation lab and got exposed to a lot of different technologies. And uh, maybe about a year into that job, I, I found um, Bitcoin and I started being exposed to, to Bitcoin Lightning specifically and kind of got addicted. And uh, for the past maybe uh, 18 months, I've been exclusively uh, writing code for Bitcoin. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm really passionate in uh, specifically getting this new technology into the hands of the next billion people um, and, and just seeing that get carried out. So, Awesome. Well, Excited to to pick your brain today and and uh, you know learn what you've learned over the over the years. So, um, just as a reminder on our format for today, uh, the first half is going to be our interview with Alex. Um, and as usual, um, about halfway through, maybe thirty to forty minutes in, we're going to um, open things up for questions. So, um, if you're new here, um, just know that our goal with these sessions is to make it easier for you to get started with blockchain and, and web three, um, or if you're already working in this space, just to help you be more successful. So if there's something that we could have explained better, if there's something you'd like us to go deeper on, uh, maybe something you'd like, um, uh, another perspective on, please share those questions. All you have to do is hit, um, Q and a, um, I think we, we have chat disabled for today. So sorry for that. Um, but put your question in the, in the Q and a, and then we will get to those as they come. You do not need to wait till the end, put this in at any time. And uh, Drew's going to help us uh, sort through those and make sure they all get answered. So, all right. Well, Alex, let's dive in. Um, I want to help. I need your help demystifying something for us. Um, I hear a lot of people make these very kind of general blanket statements about cryptocurrencies. Um, and you, when you hear these types of comments, it's often because there's there's a misunderstanding of what cryptocurrency even is. Um or a misconception that you know all cryptocurrency is generally alike, and that these differences are just surface level. Um, you and I know, Drew knows, we, these things aren't true. But um, to kind of give us a good foundation for that, um, let's start with Bitcoin. Can you walk us through like why Bitcoin was created, what goals it was trying to achieve, and, and what design choices that led to? And, and I think if we can start there, that'll lay a good foundation for understanding how the rest of the Web3 space evolved from there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Bitcoin was first born uh, in 2008 when an anonymous person going by the pseudonym of uh, Satoshi Nakamoto releases a uh, white paper. Really, it's a blog post, but uh, uh, he he wrote a, a paper describing, as he put it, a solution to digital cash, a solution to digital money. 
that's how he presented it. He didn't mention the word blockchain or anything like that in the first post. He, he presented a solution to digital money uh, over over the past um, like maybe 10 or 15 years or actually longer than that. But uh, several years be before he posted that, people had attempted and, and uh, created other uh, attempts at digital cash, uh, but they were incomplete solutions. Um, for a few technical reasons, but once Satoshi announced uh, Bitcoin, it was a complete solution to digital cash, um, and uh, it, it was uh, foreseeable that it would be uh, it would be usable um, globally. So uh, that happened in 2008, um, and Bitcoin launched um, in early 2009, uh, and uh, it, it got a lot of attention over the next few years, but. Uh, really, uh, the Web3 movement hadn't really started yet. It wasn't until around 2015 when uh, Ethereum launches that the uh, Web3 movement spawns. Uh, and the reason why um, it, it explodes is because uh, with Ethereum, they, they had this powerhouse feature that wasn't in Bitcoin. And that powerhouse feature was uh, what's called an abstract smart contracting language. What that basically means is that you can apply the, the core principles of Bitcoin that make, make it good money. Uh, you can apply the core like decentralization principles to any abstract use case. So you, as a developer, then you can uh, release applications that uh, that benefit, that, that have quote unquote all the benefits of, of Bitcoin, but uh, you can apply to many different use cases. Um, and this causes this like Cambrian explosion of innovation and, and uh, uh, you, you see uh, Web3 and blockchain being applied to uh, a myriad of use cases. Um, and back to your original question, uh, like what makes Bitcoin different? Bitcoin focuses on only one use case, and that's being the best money in the world. That's it. That's uh, Bitcoin's value proposition. It's being the best money in the world. Um, all of the other uh, Web3 use cases, while, while very exciting, Bitcoin uh, doesn't care about those. Um, and it's Bitcoin's view is that if it does the money thing really, really well, better than everybody else, then a lot of the other problems in the world that um, that Web3 solving uh, may solve themselves. Um, so uh, does that kind of paint the picture? Yeah, I think just to, to, to recap, you made a really important point there. Um, you said Bitcoin was designed for a very specific and, and single use case, which was the best form of money. Um, if I'm capturing what you said correctly, Whereas yeah. Ethereum, and and then maybe we can talk about other cryptocurrencies that came later, but Ethereum was designed for more of a um, kind of a general purpose foundation that could be used for all sorts of different things, but there wasn't like a specific use case in mind. So um, am I am I capturing that right? Because I want to make sure everyone understands that really important distinction before we move on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, you, you are uh, capturing that. Um, and where this conversation might go is, is that uh, Bitcoin has a lot, it, it's very, um, it's fitted for one use case, it's fitted to be money and it's yeah not that useful for, for much many other things. Um, and the, the like analysis after all of these things exist, um, like now in a world where we have all these different types of use cases for blockchain, the question is why do you still need to use Bitcoin when you can do the kind of money thing on this app? If, if it's abstract, you can do more things, you can also do money. Like what, why do you still need the just the the the, the thing that's only money? Uh, and the reason is is that as you add more use cases, as you add more features and more usability, um, there's always a trade-off. So like the, there there's always a trade-off when when you add more features, you're giving something else up. Um, and uh, Bitcoin doesn't give up anything uh, to compromise it from from its mission, which is being money. Yeah, so. well, yeah. Walk us through that a little bit more because there's some design choices that 
were made around Bitcoin that are are quite different from what you see in other cryptocurrencies. Some see those design choices maybe as like bugs or shortcomings, but I'm ho hoping you can unpack for us why some of those are actually like features and were were there intentionally for a specific purpose. Yeah, sure, sure thing. Um, so at a high level, uh, there's like 99% of the same DNA across Bitcoin and all the other blockchains. Uh, that's honestly not what, it, uh, unless you get like really deep, it, it's not super obvious what's different about them. However, they have different characteristics that, that are definitely observable. Bitcoin is often characterized as being uh, uh, slow, patient, and uncompromising. Uh, you'll, you'll, uh, I've seen like the web three world people call Bitcoin, like their pet rock, you know, oh, it's the same thing that, that it's, that's always been, uh, that's not completely true, but, uh, it, it definitely can, while, while compared to the other projects, uh, Bitcoin is incredibly slow. Um, but on the other side of the fence, you have the, the quote unquote web three world. Also for, for the purposes of this conversation, uh, I, I realize that most people put Bitcoin under the web three umbrella, but I'm going to be talking about them as if they're separate. Um, yeah. so that's semantics, but, um, on the web three side, uh, their goal is to achieve the uh, the future of the decentralized internet as fast as possible. You know, get cover all the bases and do as many different things as you possibly can, um, and, and find all these use cases and, and, and get them to market quickly. Uh, which is it's, it's a noble pursuit. It's important work. Um, but Bitcoin's view is that as you move quickly, you're making sacrifices. So. Um, one concrete example of this is yeah. if you're going to get a change into Bitcoin, it's a very different process than getting a change into uh, any other piece of technology. Um, yeah. Can you walk us through like this step-by-step, -step, like how that works in Bitcoin and how that might work, say, in, in Ethereum? Sure. Um, so with Ethereum, it, it's much easier. I, it's, they still have a big process and they still have a lot of people involved. But uh, basically, if you convince the core developers it's a good idea, the change gets in. in That's Ethereum. all you need. Uh, yeah, in Ethereum, yeah. Um, there's a voting process of the, of the stakers, but generally, generally they they follow the uh, the um, the the will uh, of the core developers, and, and this is true for most um, blockchains. And, and I think we uh, saw that with the merge, with the Ethereum merge, we saw that right. I mean, there was a lot of contention, but ultimately, the core team decided it was a good idea, and everyone just kind of got in line and followed. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of mining companies that are pretty upset about that. Yeah, um, <laughs> a lot of mining true. companies. But uh, there, there's actually a feature inside of the like Ethereum protocol inside the Ethereum code base that prevents you from having any other version of Ethereum. Like mm -hmm. you, it forces you, it basically penalizes you from um, trying to do it yourself or it makes it, it, it basically breaks. They, they put in something that they call the difficulty bomb and they, they make it impossible to run the technology in any other way than, than is the status quo. And um, how, does this, uh, how does this compare with like Bitcoin and the way Bitcoin works yeah. with this stuff? So, so Bitcoin takes the exact opposite approach. Um, or let's let's talk through what it takes to get a change into Bitcoin. There's a several step process. There's about five steps. Step one of getting a change into Bitcoin is announcing uh, your idea for the change in, in what's called the Bitcoin uh, mailing list. Uh, this is a technical mailing list managed by the Linux Foundation. Uh, anybody can post in it. Anybody can can view it and subscribe to it. Um, and this is how you get your idea out into the open. This is like the the bat signal, the shouting your idea from the rooftops. So um, then once people get familiar with your, your idea, they, they might have some questions and, and you'll talk about it. Um, the, the next step after announcing your idea is uh, getting uh, reaching what's called technical consensus. Technical consensus is amongst the core developers. Uh, Bitcoin's core developer team isn't 
there is much is pretty different from any other core developer uh, team. Um, Bitcoin's core developers are a group of uh, several hundred people spread out throughout the world, and they all don't like each other. This is different, you know. Uh, whereas uh, the Ethereum team, uh, they're they're incredibly efficient and they work well together and they they can move quickly. The Bitcoiner team, basically, everybody has guns pointed to each other's heads, and and all the core developers think the other core developers uh, are trying to sabotage Bitcoin, and everybody really cares about Bitcoin, so so they want to uh, protect Bitcoin uh, at, at all costs. What do you mean um, by that? Like, do are, do people have different ideas about where Bitcoin sh could should go? Are these like philosophical differences, or are they are they technical? Like, what's what's driving these like differences among that those core developers? Yeah, so so it's really just like the the amount of suspicion that's that's met with it with a new idea. Mm -hmm. So like when when you uh, there's I'm not I'm not to say that, that that it's it's that easy to get a change into Ethereum. That's not what I'm trying to say. Uh, it, it's just a it's a different world. It's like if you get the the room of people and you, and and they or if the core developers come up with an idea and they like the idea, it it gets into Ethereum. But but in Bitcoin, you have to convince everybody at the table. You you have to convince all these different parties that don't think differently or that think completely differently. And and they won't. I mean, they're uncompromising. Um, and and how it works is you can't have a single significant. They call it like technical knack or, or technical no acknowledgement, which means like you, you can't have any dissenters amongst the, the the core developer groups, like plus or minus one or two people. Um, so th this is where most proposals die. Like ninety nine percent of proposals die at this stage because it's so hard to get all of these people onto the same team. Um, and what, what that means is Bitcoin doesn't change very often because it's really hard to get people to, on board. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, we've got the, the technical consensus amongst the core developers. What's next? Now we have to prepare for something called speedy trial. This is another thing that's somewhat unique to Bitcoin. Some other protocols have this, but uh, it's a process where you have to now, now that you sold the developers, the developers create the, the implementation that they're ready to, ready to release the code. Now you have to convince all the miners it's a separate process. It's called speedy trial. You basically put uh, the, the the core developers prepare a release of the software, and then they set an activation date, uh, and it's usually about three months in the future. And now there's a three-month voting period of where the miners have to vote a change into Bitcoin. And over the course of the three months, you have to achieve 95% consensus amongst the miners. And is this like anyone who's mining, or is there a certain threshold that you have to exceed? Yeah, so... so so like similar in, in like proof of stake environments, your the amount of money that you have is mm -hmm. represent or represents the number of votes you have. In, in Bitcoin world, in proof of work world, your hash power, the amount of numbers you're 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 crunching, is is your pr pr proportional vote. So you have to convince ninety five percent of the hash power that your idea is 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 good. Okay, cool. Um, and okay, so that's speedy trial. It's a fail fast system. If you don't get ninety five percent in three months, the proposal dies. Okay, let's say that you've, you know, you convince the core developers, you bribe the miners. What's next? Okay. Well, there's one last uh one last failsafe, and that's uh called the, the user activated soft fork, big word, UASF. Um this is where the if let's say that you you bribe the the, the core developers, you bribe the, the miners. Now the users have one last line of defense, and that's when they the the users of the software distribute a Build the software that uh, doesn't have the 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 change in. They basically reject the change. If they see blocks coming in with with that that change, they they reject those blocks and they fork off and they make their own Bitcoin. This is not possible in in other protocols that have like difficulty bombs. 
Um, so even if you convince everybody that's supposed to be managing Bitcoin, um, you still have the users have the option to fork off and, and uh, continue using Bitcoin with the rules that they like. And so this is where things like Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV come from, or is there a different dynamic? Yeah, you got it. Those? Sure. You got it. So um, back in 2017, like this whole process, it sounds might sound kind of cartoonish, far-fetched that like it's going to get this far. Um, but in 2017 with with the the Bcash folks and the big blockers, uh, we got pretty close to this happening. Um, back in 2017, there was something called the block size wars where uh, a big group or a group of uh, the biggest companies of Bitcoin, basically like most of the big companies of Bitcoin, uh, the leaders got together and they had a proposal, a change to Bitcoin that they wanted to make. They weren't nefarious, but uh, they, um, they, they thought it would, it would improve the experience for their users. So they got the proposal together. They submitted to they submitted it the, the right way uh, to the, the mailing list, uh, and the core developers didn't like it because it would it would harm decentralization uh, marginally, but it, it would harm decentralization. So they rejected it. Well, the the companies, especially given how many companies that were involved in this proposal, they didn't like that response from from the core developers. They, they weren't used to people telling them that they can't do what they want to do. So what they did is they skipped step two. They, they, they skipped the uh, the core developers' technical consensus, and they went straight to the miners. They, they started lobbying the miners anyways, and they got it. They, they, they lobbied the miners successfully. They had something like 97% support for their for their proposal. It's called Segwit2x, but uh, they had 97% support. Then speedy trial happens. Speedy trial looks like it's going to be successful, and the change is going to be in Bitcoin. But towards the end of speedy trial, the users realize that this is going to happen and they don't like it. So they distribute amongst themselves a, U, a UASF fork, a user activated soft, soft fork patch uh, to Bitcoin software. Uh, and they, uh, they're they ready. They, they were ready to die on their hill. They're ready um, to 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 let the, the, the miners go in one direction. The users were going to go in another. They were going to die on their hill. And this this is really scary because this is. Uh, a contentious fork like this could kill Bitcoin, um, but the users were not going to to change. So what happened? Um, the miners eventually acquiesced, and they realized that uh, the change uh, into Bitcoin wasn't worth the what it would cost in terms of losing all these users. So um, they ended up uh, voting no on on speedy trial, and the proposal died. So the system worked. Um, yeah. Very scary time. If you talk to anybody in Bitcoin in 2017, they can recount how terrifying this was for everybody because nobody knew it was going to happen. So what's so, the... Okay, Drew. So I was just going to say, so just from what you said about Ethereum to what you're saying about Bitcoin now, so it sounds like it's sort of like an A-B test almost. I'm like, here's the two different major ways that you can run a protocol. So now, and it's not even to say that these should be compared um, as far as their use case. Cause like you said, these things are very different use cases and shouldn't be compared in a lot of ways, but you can almost compare them on, on how things are run on the, on the background is, is it, would it, would it be fair to assess it that way? This is kind of like an AB test on how to, how to run protocols. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's more nuanced that like, there's definitely more than just, just two options, but um, it's honestly, it's similar to like a conservative progressive dynamic. You have one group that's incredibly staunch in, in what, what the purpose of, of the, the thing is. And then you have another group that's willing to experiment and try new things to, to, to do more. But the, the conservative group, like, like the Bitcoin, the Bitcoiners of the, of the bunch, um, they think that the thing that they have is too important to, to meddle with these 
uh, relatively unimportant um, uh, adventures. Mm -hmm. And is that going so, back to that core view of like this, this being like a better form of money? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah. Um, it's, it's the belief, yeah, it's the belief that fixing the money is the most important thing that the technology could possibly do. And we ought to focus only on that, that, that mission. Yeah. Okay. So how, how is this, how do you think this is going to play out in terms of like somebody using cryptocurrency or using Bitcoin? Like, are there maybe a better way to phrase the question would be like, if I, what, what have you said, like changes, maybe the ramifications for like a business use case within of, of cryptocurrency? Like, is there, you mentioned like this very conservative approach to, to changes versus a very like progressive approach with Ethereum. Is that like, if I'm thinking of using this maybe in a more like to solve a kind of an existing real world problem, maybe in, in a business, like what are the pros and cons of, of those two approaches? Like how, how might I th think about their effect on me trying to do something like, again, to, to solve a problem that I'm trying to, to get rid of in, in my business? Yeah. Fantastic question. Um, so, so what I told me, like my, my like friends and family that are starting to, you know, dabble with like investing is, is that, and, and I think the same advice goes to, to businesses is, is that, um, when, when you're dealing with, with Bitcoin, you're dealing with either digital gold or like the biggest company you can imagine, like a Walmart, so somebody with like the trustworthy rating of Walmart. When you're dealing with anything else, mm -hmm. you're angel investing, you're dealing with startups. You know, the, the upside might be incredible. I mean, from an investing perspective, but also from a business perspective, it might do everything that you need it to do and, and solve all of your problems, be the silver bullet that you, they were, you were looking for all along, but there is inherent risk associated with it. When you're dealing with Bitcoin, um, uh, it's, it's the, uh, it's like the only one that, you know, isn't gonna, isn't gonna implode on you. Um, okay. I mean, that, that might be too harsh to everything else, but, um, uh, that's kind of the distinction how I think about it. It's like when you're, you're when you're dealing with Bitcoin, you're dealing with something uh, that's established, uh, not just because of like the amount of time, but but mm -hmm. the nature of the beast is that that it's conservative and unchanging. Um, yeah. So if if Bitcoin solves a problem, it's going to continue solving that problem for forever. Um, and if you have a solution to another problem, something that's that's younger, newer, or, or that's willing to to change more quickly, um, then uh, you, you just you don't have the same level of confidence, maybe. Right. Okay. So let's, let's play this out a little further then. So Bitcoin is designed to be a better form of money. Um, there's use that, and there's use cases that like fit into that. There's also uses for blockchain. Maybe they don't have so much to do with a form of money or like, or payments. Some of them might, but there's, there's plenty of others that, that don't. So how should I think about Bitcoin then? Should I think about Bitcoin as like, should I be waiting for Bitcoin to evolve to where I can solve other things besides that and like solutions built on on top of that? Or should I should I understand that maybe I, I there's going to be limitations there and those will always exist and there's other pieces within the Web3 universe I need to understand and maybe explore because Bitcoin can't do everything and maybe it won't do everything. Yeah, uh, you're, you're hitting on a, a really important point. Um, I, I, might, I always make people mad when I talk about this, but I, I suggest that 
if you're trying to do things like uh, digital real estate or or um, or supply chain management or, or whatever uh, insert X mm-hmm. use case for blockchain that's not payments, you ought to be doing them somewhere other than Bitcoin. Because Bitcoin you, doesn't do that. It, it's not yeah. going to do that. It doesn't want to do that. And, and it's it's a lie to say that it's going to eventually do it better than everything else. Um, it, it, it doesn't yet. And it doesn't look like it's going to anytime soon. So if you're going to, if, if you really care about those extra use cases, then then you should not use Bitcoin. However, the Bitcoin review is that a lot of the use cases that you see being explored in the Web3 world probably don't need a blockchain. It's like you, you probably could do them in in uh in a uh in in a uh, like web two world um oh, so more it's successfully. Kind of like, like a contrived use of web three, you're saying? Like is there an example that comes to mind? Um yeah, okay. So I was talking to somebody recently uh and and they, they were doing a a um like a music startup mm-hmm. and their and and their thing was like music with NFTs. They're like, oh, we can get like more royalties for the um for the artists. It's like, okay, let's think that through. It's like, well, what would you have to build to, to make the system happen? Well, you have to build, a, um, you know, to first package your, your songs inside of NFTs instead of tokens. And then you have to make a system where people can maybe like stream the, the songs through those tokens. Um, anyway, the, the diesels kind of don't matter, but, but the point is, it's like, you're basically recreating Spotify, which is <laughs> the better business model. You have to rebuild like, a lot of the infrastructure just to get to like a, a point of parity with something that already exists. Is that what you're saying? Like the problems, like the value out of blockchain isn't the problem that you're trying to solve. The value out of blockchain is that it's incorruptible and, and unconfiscatable. That's it. Like it doesn't do anything else that's that's that special. It's like, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. The, 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 music in, the, the music industry is really broken in a lot of ways, uh, but I, I'm inclined to agree with you that perhaps NFTs... The the problems of the music industry stem from a lot from like being being getting anything out of your labels like pulling teeth. Um, a blockchain. I don't know. If, I don't know if that's the right solution for that. Um, yeah, yeah. Like like yeah. blockchains are basically fancy databases. You know, databases right. with with more uh, with more features. Um, and you you can do some cool things but but ultimately your your bottlenecks in the process the, the things that you the 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 gripes in the existing industry are not the things that blockchain solves okay another another really good example that i hear a lot is is ticketmaster it's like how can we fix ticketmaster with uh with nfts it's like okay like a good idea it's uh you know ticketing is is a legitimate use case for nfts you can own this this token that represents your ticket um fantastic well what are the problems with ticketmaster the problems with Ticketmaster are not that Ticketmaster is stealing your tickets from you. The problem with Ticketmaster is that their servers are going down and the uh, their throughput isn't good enough and that they've monopolized the industry. Blockchain doesn't solve those things. You're still going to have to create a better Ticketmaster in order to beat Ticketmaster with blockchain. So, mm-hmm. I mean, okay, also, I don't like to just, just like necessarily, even though I'm doing it a lot right now, I, I don't love just like bashing uh, what, what other people are working on. Um, it's like if people can solve that, I'd love to be proven wrong. Um, but well, so one one yeah. question I had that that dovetails with it this Taro protocol on on Bitcoin allowing for all of these non Bitcoin assets to be used on Bitcoin. What what's your take there? Because it, it seems like it has an aim or could be used to bring some of these non money use cases onto Bitcoin. But 
those wouldn't necessarily be smart contracts in the way that Ethereum has them, right? So what's your take? What's your take there on where that fits in? Yeah. So so for those uh, anybody that that hasn't heard of Taro, Taro is a protocol, a new protocol that was released by a company called Lightning Labs, who who contributes to uh, Bitcoin Lightning, like the the scaling solution on top of Bitcoin. Uh, and their proposal allows you to create what's called arbitrary assets on top of Bitcoin. Um, and these assets can be like a, a foreign currency, a stable coin, uh, or even uh, like NFTs, like a, like tickets or, or baseball cards or whatever. Um, I think it's too early to tell. They have released some code. Uh, it has not launched in, in the mainnet. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I think some people are being overly optimistic. Um, Mm-hmm. That's fair. Yeah, maybe, totally maybe it'll fair. work. I think at least the stable coins are going to be very interesting. We'll see about everything else. Yeah, but I, th- I think kind of going back to some of the comparisons you were making earlier, those changes don't necessarily affect the the core of Bitcoin. They're built in such a way that it's on top of or kind of separate from those those like that the Bitcoin blockchain itself. And yep. like, can you? make sure like we're getting that detail, right? Because I think some of the other changes that, that happen with, like within Ethereum and other chains, like they, they cut a little bit deeper when, when they're implemented, but with Bitcoin and lightning specifically, these are not necessarily affecting some of that, those, that, that core foundation. Is that, is that the right way to look at it, Alex? Uh, yeah. Uh, fantastic point. Um, so B- Bitcoin's architecture, it, it, Bitcoin is designed, uh, so that the uh, the the fundamental rules about what makes it valuable doesn't get touched when you add more features. So if if you want to add a feature on Bitcoin, um, the a better instead of changing Bitcoin to allow you to do that new thing, the, a better strategy, a more realistic strategy, is to find a way to do it with the existing Bitcoin. Like like find a way to to make your your uh, your feature like it, okay. Let's say that you want to scale Bitcoin. You you want to uh, allow uh, you want to increase Bitcoin's transaction throughput and you want to lower the fees and, and uh, decrease settlement time. Big issue for payments. Yeah. Well, uh, actually, this the story that, that, that I was telling about the big block wars um, or the, the, the block size wars is, is the, the, the companies were, were trying to implement a scaling solution onto Bitcoin that would change the fundamental rules of Bitcoin. But that didn't win. Um, the solution that's that's won out or, over time is called the Lightning Network. Uh, we've mentioned it a couple of times. And the Lightning Network takes Bitcoin as it is and builds this separate layer on top of Bitcoin that allows you to uh, to to scale um, to, to uh, like a global payments network. Um, so, yeah, uh, great point, John. Um, Bitcoin, while, well, okay, while other things uh, will... We'll see. Well, other things when they want to add features, they'll change the core technology. Uh, Bitcoin chooses to it's called like ossify. That like they ossify the base layer, they like turn it to stone, and then they just build palaces up, upon this bedrock. Do you think that um, there's a risk of that of this like conservative approach in Bitcoin getting eroded over time? Like, is yeah, is that a possibility? Like, do you see that like? people feeling like a need to compete with other protocols or, or push Bitcoin to do things that it wasn't designed to do in the first place. And those like fundamental principles being compromised, or is that, is that not a risk in your view? Um, it's always a risk. Definitely. Uh, any system with that's managed by people, uh, can be corrupted by those people. Um, however, 
Bitcoin uh, so far has proven um, it has the most fail safes out of any organization or out of any different technology. Um, and what that means is so long as there's like one voice left that still cares about the, uh, that, that doesn't want to change to go through and doesn't want the uh, innovation to happen, then uh, they have the ability to to pull the, the emergency stop. Like it's set up with all these fail safes. It's like, you have to get everybody to agree. So um, mm -hmm. while it's, you can't design a perfect system that has people involved, it is orders of magnitude safer than um, anything else. So if anything is going to retain the the the, uh, the essence of decentralization, it's Bitcoin. Yeah. Okay. Almost like you have, you know, at least in the US, you know, you have our Supreme Court and the executive and legislative branches can go crazy, but there's kind of that fail safe theory, at least of like holding those things back to the constitution or holding those decisions back to the constitution. So yeah, definitely a lot of similarities. Yeah. 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 Alex, you mentioned earlier that, you know, Bitcoin is like a perfect money um, or as close to it as we can muster. Right. So I can picture someone who's either unfamiliar with Bitcoin or skeptical of Bitcoin kind of raising an eyebrow at that at that claim, right? So I want to kind of go back, if you don't mind, to like, okay, so Bitcoin is designed to be a good money. What's a bad money? You know, let's, can we juxtapose that? Can we kind of create like an AB of what we're talking about? Yeah. So, uh, great question. Um, it might be helpful to start to like define like what is a money, like, like at yeah. its base, like just, just quickly. Um, so, what's the point of money? Like, why, why do we need a money? Well, the reason why is to measure how much value something's worth. It's a, it's a tool. It's a, it's what's called a bearer asset. It's, it's a measurement tool to, to determine how many, how many sheep trade for how many cows. Um, and in order for something to be a good measurement tool, it has to, to bear, um, several characteristics. Uh, and those characteristics include, uh, it has to be, uh, indestructible. Like if your money's going to erode over time, then like, it's not a good money. It has to be divisible. If you have to, organize your sheep in uh in units of like 30 to match the the value of the money then it's not very useful uh your, your money should be fungible it doesn't really make sense to fungible or homogenous uh an example of something that isn't fungible or homogenous is, is like diamonds you know we, we can't really use diamonds as our currency because you know each diamond has like a different shape and a cut and clarity and if you're and that means that they're worth different amounts and if you're trying to use diamonds to measure something else and the diamond is the unit of measurement it doesn't make sense like it's so each one unit has to be equal to every one unit. So, um, yeah, money has a lot of these characteristics, um, or a good money always has these characteristics. Um, and the the best money that we've had uh, in human history has been gold uh, for eleven thousand years. We've, we've been using gold as the best money because it's it's had these characteristics, um, and it's been a really good measurement tool. Oh, scarce is another important one. It, your your money has to be scarce. If, if it's apples and you could just grow an apple tree, it's not very good money. Um, so yeah, gold's always been the winner, but, uh, in the recent world, now we have globalization and the internet and gold isn't very good for globalization because there's a logistical components of moving money around. So it's not a very good money anymore for that reason. And then also the internet, uh, now that we have e-commerce, uh, gold stops being so, so amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, so what do we, what do we do? What, what do we do? And, uh, what can we do? Well, what, what we can do is get the, uh, a trusted authority, um, like, like a government or somebody to, um, Basically, give ever give out everybody a bunch of like IOU tickets. I mean, this is this is fiat money. This is uh, you, you get the government to control the supply of this kind of arbitrary thing, like a piece of paper or something. Um, 
the problem with that is is if you don't trust your government they can they can inflate your currency and and if you look at like like venezuelan bolivars in 2018 it costs like a wheelbarrow full of cash to buy a chicken um uh while we're very privileged in the united states that this isn't uh, uh it doesn't seem like a, a big threat um it is in a lot of parts of the world so um anyway so a lot of challenges to making a, a digital money that has all these characteristics um now bitcoin comes along and bitcoin has all of these characteristics um plus it's as incorruptible by human beings as anything has ever been and that that's what makes it special is is that you you have a uh a, a scarce asset that's uh divisible uh measurable uh durable fungible and incorruptible by human beings and that's what's why it's so special is it's incorruptible by human beings you can't print more you can't steal it if you're a big if you're a big country that wants to seize the assets of of another country there is nothing you can do uh to steal somebody else's bitcoin um that's why it's so special i think drew where you're going with your question is is a lot of people say well bitcoin's a terrible money because it's volatile and is that where you're it's going part of it part of yeah. it yeah yeah so so volatility huge issue <laughs> yeah if anybody tells you <laughs> the volatility isn't an issue then then i mean it's they're, they're wrong um the bitcoin okay there's a few different uh, ways of the people in bitcoin uh kind of explain this away uh, one thing is that um as anything moves up the adoption curve it's going to be volatile it's inevitable it's inevitable that anything that starts being used by a lot of people and starts growing is going to be volatile um so this is this is good you know this is to be as expected and the expectation is once we start topping out at the adoption curve and everybody in the world that's going to be using bitcoin is using bitcoin then the volatility issue will insert solve itself um that's not when good you, enough for a lot of people though uh well you see that with like to your point um you see that in equities a lot right like a company goes public and especially if it's like a comp uh, you know tech stock with like high expectations of growth, it's very, very difficult to value that company because it's all based on like future projections. Yeah. And, and there's like very little, there's a lot of um, noise, but not like a lot of clean signal about like how to value this thing. They, there's not a Walmart that's been in business for decades and you can kind of look at all this historical data. So you see this, you know, chart goes like this up and down and then over time it Kind of levels off maybe i'm not it's not a perfect explanation but yeah it's, that's exactly that's exactly what's going on i mean that's that's this precisely the this, the same phenomenon or at least in my belief is like is that um just as when a ton of new people are are, are buying and selling something for the first time uh it becomes yeah it becomes much harder to price than than it than um when you have a relatively reliable supply and demand so Bitcoin fixes the supply, you know, there's no more Bitcoin after that. It's like, there's a curve of the supply of Bitcoin. So like Bitcoin, there's already like 95% of the, the amount of Bitcoin that will ever exist in the world. Um, and uh, so like 21 million is the cap. There's only ever be 21 million Bitcoin. You can't print more. So the supply sticks, you know, we don't have people messing with the supply, but the other half of the price equation is demand. And that's something we can't control exactly. But what we do know is that the demand is changing rapidly every day. Um, mm -hmm. And the expectation is that as as more of the world hops online, this the the demand for for the asset uh, will uh, you know the, the volatility of the demand will go down.
Yeah, I mean, well, that, that's a that's a good point, especially with I mean, especially with the supply side piece. I mean, the, the higher this is true of anything like the higher the market cap gets of anything, uh, the more the the more extreme swings it's going to take to get the price to move. Um, so over time, if adoption becomes really widespread, you're going to really see that start to start to level out. Absolutely. Yeah. OK, uh, another another uh, like like common uh, like counterpoint that, that I, I get from like a lot of people talking about Bitcoin being money is that um, people say, well, it's not backed by anything. I mean, I'm sure you guys have heard this talking to people. It's like, well, how, how can you trust it if it's not backed by something? You know, like dollars, you think that they're backed by gold, but, you know, if you, they're not backed by gold, but at least they're, they're backed by the government saying that they're worth something. Well, let's, I mean, we, we can kind of unpack what that means. Like, what does it mean by backed by something? Like, why, why is it important to be backed by gold? Well, people say, well, gold has, has, has value. Well, what, why does gold have value? It's, uh, we all, we all agreed there's some unspoken agreement that occurred that like culturally, like we agreed that that had value. Did right? we just wake up one day and agree? Uh, like, what, what do you think made gold valuable? Uh, like, well, why, why did people care about gold? My argument is that the reason why we care about gold is because of the properties that it has. The reason why we care about gold is because you can't fake the gold that I have. If I have gold, I can prove to you, like, you can't devalue that gold. It, it's, it, it measures, if, if everybody is, is uh, competing against the, in, in the same competition of, of who can get the most gold, it's going to be a fair fight. And that same property applies to Bitcoin. It's, it's the idea that you, know, you can't cheat the system, you can't print more, and uh, if you have it, if somebody has Bitcoin, then um, then you know that they had to get it through legitimate means. Yeah, yeah. And there, there's that Austrian school kind of philosophy too, as well of like the qualities of money. You know, the whole the whole Mises thing, right? Like being divisible and having like some kind of intrinsic value outside. And you know, the argument there too, if you follow that school of thought, is along the lines of well, it, it's it's a payment system, the wallet, and the transfer mechanism all at once, and that's that's the intrinsic value, you know? Um, yeah. It's a tool. It's, it's a useful right. tool for measuring and transmitting value. Right. That, that's, that's, that's the value add. Yeah. Oh, just a quick reminder. If you've got a question for Alex, for us, for the group, uh, go ahead and drop them in. We've got a, we've got about 15 minutes left. So um, go ahead and, and um, share those if you have them, but we're going to keep rolling because Alex, we've got plenty more to unpack, but um, yeah, we'd love to hear from you all. If you've got something on your mind. Um, so. So Alex, like, let's bring that back to the Web3 universe. So there's, we've like, you've given us a really good breakdown of, of like mm -hmm. why Bitcoin is different and some of these fundamental characteristics and how it represents this, uh, you know, this kind of platonic ideal of what good money is. And what, um, do you see other, well, let me phrase this, this question in two parts. Are there other cryptocurrencies that are also attempting to be a form of money as like their primary use case? And the other part, half of the question is like, do you do you see that changing? Like, do you see other cryptocurrencies like coming into existence that kind of compete as a standard for money? How do you think that's going to play out? Yeah, so there definitely are other technologies that are say that they're they're trying to to do the money use case. I mean, every single like one of the like foundations of, of what makes like blockchain blockchain is that you have um, you have a token. It's like you have to have like some instrument to transmit value on that chain. 
However, everything that is in Bitcoin has made sacrifices to do other things that hurt its ability to be a money. Yeah, there is no number two. I think that's like a microseller thing. It's like there is no number two to, to, to Bitcoin. So there's other people attempting to, but there is, uh, if you're looking for what's going to be the, the, the digital gold of the future, um, yeah, there is no, no number two. This actually dovetails really well with a question that we just got in the Q&A from an anonymous attendee. Alex, do you see any crossover between Bitcoin and other Web3 technologies? Okay, great question. Um, I don't, maybe not crossover exactly, but I definitely see other Web3 technologies using Bitcoin for what it's good at. Maybe not the other way around, but definitely there, there, uh, there are, are, are many Web3 technologies that are using Bitcoin as to, to be the digital goal of, of their platform. So, so um, yeah, yes and no. You're not going to see like Bitcoin embracing any other Web3 technologies, but however, um, I mean, there's other Web3 things in, in Web3, like, um, I mean, like Stacks is probably the, the biggest example of, uh, of uh, a, a protocol that uses Bitcoin to accomplish other things on, on, a, on a different protocol. Can you elaborate on Stacks a little bit for anyone who's not familiar? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not super, super familiar with their, their uh, platform, but the, the idea is that you take some Bitcoin, you lock it up into um, Stacks' platform, and then that's their like proof of stake asset basically I, they have different names for all of this but um you, you take some bitcoin and then that's your like uh and then the amount of like bitcoin that you commit to stacks gets you like the stx token or something like that and then you can use smart it, it gets pretty deep um like and and honestly yeah okay i went to a stacks conference once and, and i talked to a lot of people and really smart people at stacks but uh, it turns out like uh, for, of all the people that I talk to, uh, there, there's only a few people in the world that really understand how their protocol works. Um, this is another problem of Web3, but um, that, you know, there's these beautiful complex protocols, but not that many people know how they work. Um, not to say that there, there aren't people that know how it mm -hmm. works. Like, like Maneeb is the guy who made it and he's one of the smartest people um, on the planet. So, um, so just to uh, play devil's advocate on that, to what extent do, do people need to know how the underlying protocol works, like you Great question. like you know SaaS, you know products built on like internet. You don't need to understand how the underlying technologies work. You have maybe a basic knowledge, but what what do people need to know like about those those protocols? Great question. Uh, users as like a everyday user does not have to know how it works. However, you would hope that a company that's supporting your service has experts in the space that really know how it works. So it doesn't mess up for them. Mm -hmm. That's so like it, it, for, for the, the quote unquote, like IT professionals uh, of this industry, it's really important that, that, uh, that the, uh, the, the professionals that are putting out services that, that you're trusting with your money uh, have a deep understanding. And, and you're saying like, there's, there's pockets where like that, the people who need to know that level of knowledge, maybe don't, don't have it. Is, is that your take? Yeah. Yeah, it's like for, for the people making decisions and like whether, okay, like for, for example, if you're deciding whether or whether or not to trust a technology with with your uh, with either your money or your data or what, whatever if you, as a business, mm -hmm. it's a big decision for a big business, you know, yeah. to, to trust this new thing that doesn't have that big of a track record. Well, how, how do you make that decision? Well, you try to learn about the, the ecosystem, you learn about the technology. Well, 
if nobody knows how the thing works at, at a super deep level or, or very few people and, and you can't hire those people because, you know, they're busy working on the protocol. Uh, I mean, that's a, that's a big problem for adoption. So just like not knowing what you're getting into. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's impossible to evaluate. Um, I, I mean, a big example is all these VC funds that are going under because they didn't do enough due diligence on FTX. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what happens when, when you, when you bet on the wrong horse, you get, you go down and, uh, you know, if we're asking to compare, um, like, like Bitcoin to something, to something like, um, any other protocol, it's like, you, mm-hmm. you really have to, like, we, we know Bitcoin really, really well. Like Bitcoin has, a, 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 everything about it's out in the open. Uh, and, and there's a, a thousands of people that, that, um, know it, know it very deeply. Um, maybe whereas, that's where that, yeah, um, like that, that pet rock analogy you were using earlier, that's almost where you could flip that and, and make that into a feature because yeah, you gain the understanding and that takes time, but it's also not going to change on you every week. And you're not having to like that. I would assume that time you'd have to commit to keeping track of those changes would be less with Bitcoin because there is that level of stability there. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Uh, two sides of the same coin. It's like, you want to, to move quickly and to, to progress and innovate. Um, but mm-hmm. there's a cost to that, like in, in the, in like the, the web development world, uh, there is like a spout of like 10 years of where there, there was like a new web framework coming out, like every, every six months. So every six months you were like rewriting your website and, and there's this nightmarish, uh, reality of trying to just keep up with what, what's hot and what, what's new. Uh, and, uh, I mean, there's a serious cost to, to innovation and that's, that's, uh, getting everybody to, to, to upgrade. Um, but yeah, um. Definitely, if it could be viewed as a feature, could be viewed as a bug. Bitcoiners view it as a as a feature, um, and uh, but I mean, obviously, there's a lot of uh, virtue and in innovation. So, yeah, so, I mean, if you well, just well, got, uh, yeah, go ahead, I was just going to ask. So, oh, speaking of innovation, just on that topic in general. So, like over the next like five or so years, like where where do you see? Where do you see the Web3, not just Bitcoin specifically, but just the entire Web3 slash Bitcoin? Where do you see it all going over the next few years? Oh, well, uh, funny you ask. A good thing I have my crystal ball right here and I can look at it. <laughs> uh, yeah, unfortunately, uh, I mean, no, nobody knows for sure. Uh, I hear a lot of people saying that, you know, they expect a lot of the, the Web3 protocols to consolidate over time and people are going to start settling and on fewer things. And, and mm-hmm. uh, as more mature ecosystems emerge and, 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 and develop, uh, then people will stop needing to make a new blockchain for a specific use case. Like they'll be using, yeah. Okay. Eventually the, I, I think that's, that's, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. If there's one answer, it's, um, your, these, uh, application specific blockchains are like, if I'm going to make a music blockchain or a supply chain blockchain, like that's, that's probably going to fall out of vogue. Um, at least I, I think those are going to fall out of vogue and, and people are going to settle on these, um, a, uh, the more shared abstract decentralization technologies, and they're going to move everything that they possibly can off the blockchain, um, and use blockchain. Like I'm, I'm a, definitely like a blockchain minimalist, um, Blockchains are expensive and they're difficult to use, and uh, you know that they're not the silver bullet. You know they 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 solve a serious problem, which is yeah decentralization. But um, it's uh yeah it, it, they're not the silver bullet. So um, yeah, definitely, I, I'm inclined to agree with you. Um, I wanted to get your opinion as someone who's like building in the space. Um, and then Michael actually asked because he's a developer as well. He says, "Hey, I'm curious." If you started working in blockchain tech with Bitcoin development specifically, 
or if you started with another altcoin, move to Bitcoin? If so, what was the biggest challenge of making the transition? Great question. Um, started with uh, uh, Ethereum development at NCR, working specifically on decentralized identity. And, and the, the specific project we were working on was called Hyperledger Indie. And that's um, Hyperledger is like a, a relatively like big, well-known uh, project for private blockchain specifically. Um, so started there and then, um, yeah, then, then moved over to Bitcoin. Uh, it was definitely challenging. I'd say that the moving from Ethereum world to Bitcoin world was easier than moving from like no blockchain world to Ethereum. Um, yeah. Okay. One specific, really, uh, challenging paradigm to get your head around uh, moving from like Ethereum to, to Bitcoin is that, um, Ethereum uses something called, okay, this is going to get slightly technical. I apologize, but, um, Ethereum uses something called an account-based model. That means when I send you Bitcoin, I send you Ethereum, it's from my account to your account. You know, it's just like a, it's a number uh, on a database. Um, like that's how it's represented with Bitcoin. It doesn't work like that. But with Bitcoin, I'm literally moving a coin from my name to your name, but it's the coins that are tracked. They're called UTXOs. Um, and this is a different mental model to think about uh, when, uh, uh, like as a developer or even um, as like a savvy user. Um, like with, with Bitcoin, you have, yeah, it's called a UTXO-based model, um, unspent transaction output. Uh, whereas with Ethereum, you have an account-based model. Gotcha. Um, and then we have a question from an anonymous attendee, uh, Alex, what would, what should someone do today if they want to start learning how to invest in Bitcoin? Um, great question. Uh, I think that the best thing you can do is buy $10, just, just put down 10 bucks and, and buy some Bitcoin. Um, if you need suggestions on places to buy Bitcoin, we can provide that. Um, but I think you should just get your hands dirty. So, um, okay, maybe maybe a, a bit more stuff so you can do. You should buy a hardware wallet, buy like a Trezor or, or a Ledger. 100%. And then go through the process of purchasing 10, 20, 50 bucks on an exchange and, and, and actually go through the process of sending it from the exchange to your cold storage wallet. If you can get through all of those steps, um, you're going to be more savvy than 90% of the people out there. Yeah, I mean that that's how I personally got started. It was it was 10 bucks a week for a while and then it became a lot more than what <laughs> a lot more than what I initially put in, so that kind of had me catch the bug and you know, obviously we don't give financial advice on on the show here, but it, it, for anyone who just wants to get started, I mean it's just a good way to get started. Just put a little bit in and just see what happens. There's a um this is no you know endorsement, but yeah, you know, Swan Bitcoin is a really good service for um well, this is my personal view, but it's just, they make it very easy to like get onboarded and get started and, and, and do some of the things that you guys just suggested as well. Like moving that to cold storage, moving it to a hardware wallet without like having to go through a lot of technical know-how. So that might be another option to look into as well. Yeah. Another service that, that just came out at like a hackathon, uh, like a few weeks ago, it's called light sats. And, and their, their, uh, view is like you, you, Prints out these little QR codes that have tips, like so you can hand them out to your friends, and it's like like three dollars, like four dollars of free Bitcoin, and you scan the QR code, and then that walks you through setting up a uh, like a, a wallet, and then sending that Bitcoin to your wallet. So, um, yeah, Swan Light Sats L I G H T S A T S, um, like a starter kit for your friends. 
Yeah, yeah. It's like we uh, in in Atlanta, the the Bitcoin people in Atlanta. We were going around to different uh, like Christmas parties, and, and we printed out these like uh these um yeah like little flashcards and, and gave them to everybody at the party. So yeah, that's it works awesome. really well. Yeah, awesome. Well, I think that's about all the time we have. Thanks uh, to all of you who asked some questions. Uh, I've got a quick favor for you all. I'm going to put a um a well, I think I disabled the chat. I was going to put in a, a quick chat, but what I'm going to do is all or a, a quick sur quick survey. I'm going to email it to you guys after the fact. Um, just a few questions to help us make these sessions better. So be on the lookout for that email. That would really help us um, make these uh, sessions continue to get better each and every time. Um, we'd also love to hear your suggestions for any guests that you guys think that we should bring on uh, in a future interview as well. So uh, with that in mind, Alex, if uh, someone wants to get in touch with you, uh, maybe ask a follow-up question, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, probably Twitter. Uh, that's my preferred social media these days. Um, you can follow me at underscore Alex Lewin, all one word. So underscore Alex Lewin. I can right, try to find the chat. L-E-W-I-N, right? Yep. It's, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, at underscore Alex Lewin. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, thank you, Alex. Uh, great to have you here. Thanks to all of you who were able to join us today. Appreciate you being here. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week and uh, we will see you next time we do one of these. Thanks for joining. Thanks for listening to Blockspaces Live. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you listen. And if this show helped you on your path to building with blockchain, then we'd be thrilled if you left us a review while you're there. And remember to join our live recordings, just head to blockspaces.com slash podcast Put in your email and we'll send you an invite. See you next time.